All right, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to read the first nine verses. Therefore, my brethren, there's that word therefore again. I saw that last week. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. You know, as I read that, I thought he must be talking to grandchildren. Isn't that how you view your grandchildren? Dearly beloved, your crown and joy, you know. Anyway, it's not grandchildren, but. I, that just thought just occurred to me. It tickled my funny bone anyway. Anyway, verse 2. I beseech Jodius and I beseech Sensity that they be of the same mind in the Lord. I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labor with me in the gospel, with Clement also and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, so things of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. The title of the message this morning is Stand Fast, the Lord is at Hand. Stand Fast, the Lord is at Hand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. We thank you for uh, your love and your mercies being manifested to us and your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and dying for our sin, giving his life that we might have be ransomed, uh, free, set free from the penalty of sin, which is death, and have eternal life in him. Father, we pray you, you bless as the word goes forth this morning. Help me as I preach. Give ears to hear, hearts to obey. And may you be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord here, through the pen of Paul, of course, by inspiration of the Spirit of God, was challenging the church at Philippi. Was, that's past tense. But is encouraging Lighthouse Baptist Church to stand fast. That word means to persist or persevere in fellowship with the Lord, because the Lord is at hand. You know, that word at hand there has two really two two meanings. It means he is soon coming. You know, his time of his, his coming is near. It's at any time. We say it's imminent. It could happen at any moment. The other thing is, as we learned last week, that of course we learned that last week from verses twenty and twenty one, but he is always with us. If we know the Lord is our Lord and Savior, He's always with us. So He's always at hand. He is an ever-present help. And so what 
the Bible here, what the Lord is saying through the pen of the Apostle Paul to us today is, look, Lighthouse Baptist Church, stand fast. The Lord is coming. The Lord is at hand. Don't give up. Persevere. Persist in your walk with the Lord. Now, I want to notice three, three main things this morning. First of all, that we have a position of privilege. We work from a position of privilege. Secondly, there is a priority to be pursued. And then thirdly, a practice to appropriate. So a position of privilege, verses 1 through 3, notice several things. First of all, they were, they were loved. Two times, really three, two times he uses in verse 1, the phrase, the, the two words, dearly beloved, therefore my brethren, dearly beloved, at the end of the verse, my dearly beloved. And he also says, my and longed for, which means, again, greatly loved. Is really what that means. Of course, you know, this is a position of privilege, which we have. Uh, Ephesians 1, 6 says that we've been made by Christ, we've been made accepted in the beloved. So we're, we've been accepted by God into the family of God through the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the new birth. So, so those of us who are saved are loved. You know this kind of love here that is received by salvation through Jesus Christ. And of course, one must respond to that love of God manifested uh, to, to them. Uh, in this case, it was the love of God manifested to those at Philippi by Paul and Silas. They manifested the love to those people. You know, they were be- been beaten with many stripes and cast into prison. And while in prison, they they prayed and they sang. And 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 of course, we know there was an earthquake. And 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 you know, the, the jailer is going to kill himself because every man set free. And Paul said, "Do thyself no harm." What we're we seeing there, we're seeing the love of God manifested. To them, to those in the jail and the jailer by the Apostle Paul and Silas. You know, he and others, they, the jailer, of course, responded to this love and were, as was born again. He was accepted in the beloved. You know, it is a privilege to be loved, to be cared for. But if one does not respond to that love, it is of no help to them. You have to respond to the love of God if that love of God is going to affect or transform your life. What many do not consider is to be in the beloved is a place of safety and protection. I want you to think about two things. We think about that, this place of safety and protection this position of privilege, dearly beloved, longed for, it is, it, is, it is a place where you have counselors who truly care about you and your well-being. And, you know, and around, that are around you and will help you, help light your way. You know, Proverbs 27, 17, 17 says this, Iron sharpeneth iron, so man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. You know, when, you, when you're in the beloved and you're in a, a New Testament church, you, you're surrounded with people that care about you, that truly love you, that wants, want what's, desire what's best for you, that are going to sharpen you, are going to help you. They're gonna, they're gonna, their life and their testimony is going to instruct you and challenge you, encourage you. 
in a right way. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of the counselors, there is safety. Again, when you're in a New Testament church, there are many counselors you hear from. Not just church people. What you hear from Moses, and Joshua, and Caleb. And Caleb who says, you know, I want that mountain. If the Lord be with us, we will be able. You can hear from Caleb. And Samson, David, Solomon, and Daniel, and on we could go. And some of them would say to us, do as I did. And others would say to us, don't do as I did. Because when you do, this will happen to you too. See, when you're in a New Testament church, you hear from all kinds of counselors. That's what it means in Proverbs where it says in the multitude of counselors. There's a multitude of counselors in the Bible. These are not just fictitious characters that we have stories about. These are stories about real people that lived in real time that experienced real things. Some of them that were greatly rewarded. Some of them that suffered for taking a stand for God but were greatly rewarded. And others who suffered because of sin they participated in their own life. So, you know, in this place, is this, in the Beloved is a place of protection and safety. There's also a second thing. There is protection in walking with the Lord. You know, these people, you know, as Paul writes to them, it says they were dearly beloved, not only by Paul, but by the Lord. He's writing this under inspiration of the script of the Holy Spirit. And, and you know, to, to, to be dearly beloved of God is to be in the Father's hand. You remember in Job chapter 1, Satan appears in the presence of God. And God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's, there's none like him in the earth. He's upright. He fears God. He excuses evil. There's none like him in the earth. You remember what Satan said? Yeah, thou hast made a hedge about him, about his house, and about all thee hath. Do you know what is missing there? God didn't say, no, I don't. He didn't say that. Because God did have a hedge about him. God did have a hedge about him. Again, he, you know, John 10 tells us that we, are in, that we are in the Lord's hand. And nothing is able to pluck us out of the Father's hand. Peter describes us as a peculiar people. That means a a specialty, a special purchase possession. It kind of reminds me of, you know, in the Old Testament, he speaks of the children of Israel as the apple of mine eye. And don't touch the apple of mine eye. Do you like people touching the apple of your eye? It's a very touchy place. It's, it, it, to touch Israel is like poking God in the eye. And to poke at one of God's children is like poking God in the eye. So 
Psalm 34, verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord acampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. You see, you and I have an adversary. We have an enemy to destroy us. And you need the protection of the Lord, which is had by walking in fellowship with him. When you take yourself outside of that fellowship, you're free game. You're free game. To the adversary. You open yourself up. That's what Saul did. He opened himself up to the enemy by forsaking the right way. The Bible says, And the Spirit of the Lord departed from him, and an evil spirit troubled him. The psalmist said in Psalm 4, verse 8, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safely, safety. Proverbs 21, 31, The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. You know the safest place you can be is not in the comfort of your home. It's in fellowship with the Lord. And no matter where that is. You know, you may think you have your ducks in a row. But if it's without God, they may be dead ducks. You see, this is a position of privilege. And we ought not take it for granted or presume of God upon God. Because it may bring judgment. And so Paul is talking here to the church of Philippi and to us. That we have a position of privilege. We are greatly beloved of the Lord. They were loved. Secondly, with privilege comes responsibility. Notice in verses 2 and 3, it says, I beseech Eudeus and beseech sensitivity to be of the same mind in the Lord. I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. You see, with privilege comes responsibility. And, and you have... You have had the love and mercy of God manifested to you, so there is responsibility to that. You know, there were two women, probably women of influence, who were having trouble getting along in the church at Philippi. And the Lord says, hey, you two, get your act together, be of the same mind. Quit squabbling. You need to learn to be loving and preferring one another. You need to read chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. You need to be reminded of one mind serving together. Chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also in the things of others. So you need to be loving and preferring one another. At home you make your cookies any way you like, but the work of God you need to be united in one mind. Serving together. And so he tells them, look, in this place of privilege, you need to conduct yourselves as women professing godliness. Then he mentions Clement, Clement also, who labored with Paul, and other women who, who are honored with their names written in the book of life. You, know, you may never gain the fame and fortune or honor or prestige but to have the testimony of the Spirit of God declare your name written in the book of life 
is a greater honor than any worldly fame you ever get. You know, Romans 8.16, the Spirit itself beareth witness our spirit that we are the sons of God. So this, this, this is a place of privilege. We have a position of privilege. Secondly, there is a priority to be pursued. If you notice in verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Now he says to re- we are to rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. You know, this is a command, really, and we must choose to rejoice in the Lord. Now, Probably everybody in here this morning has something they could complain about. I mean, we live in a real world where there's problems. But the Bible says here, he tells them, the church, he's telling us, we're to rejoice in the Lord always. This is a choice we have to make. This is an attitude of the mind. You know, Fanny Crosby, at six weeks of age, caught a cold and developed inflammation of the eyes. And the family physician was not available, and a less less knowledgeable physician recommended mustard plaster as treatment, which blinded her. Her father died when she was one year old, so she was raised by her mother and grandfather. She married Alexandra Van Alstein, a blind musician, and fellow teacher, and, and they had one daughter, Frances, who died while a baby. But Crosby did not spend her life in bitterness and feet. Instead, she dedicated her life to Christ. At age eight, she wrote these words. Oh, what a happy soul am I, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world, contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind. I cannot and I won't. See, she had learned to rejoice in the Lord always. That it was a choice. She said, I won't and I cannot and I won't. It was a choice. She later remarked, quote, It seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life. And I thank him for the dispensation. It perfectly, it, if perfect ice, earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things about me, unquote. You know, there are things in life that are a burden to us. There may be circumstances of life that distress you, but you can always rejoice in the Lord. He says to rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice First Thessalonians 5.16, he wrote to the church of Thessalonica, and he said there, to rejoice evermore. These were churches that were established under great affliction, and yet he told them to rejoice. 
Again, it is a choice. It is an attitude of the mind. No matter what things in life, how things in life may be, we can always rejoice in the Lord if we know the Lord. Joy is, will strengthen your heart. It will strengthen your spirit. Nehemiah 8.10, Nehemiah, the people had wept, and he sent them away, and he said, you know, rejoice in the Lord. He said, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's your strength. Proverbs 15.15 says, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. Proverbs 17.22, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. You know, when I read those verses, I always think of Brother Bill Winstead. He always had a merry heart, though he was basically legally blind. But he always had a merry heart. He was always rejoicing in the Lord. You see, this is a priority that we need to pursue. Rejoice in the Lord. You know, you, there, again, there may be burdens and circumstances that come into life that distress you and discourage you, but we can always look to God and rejoice in what He has done for us. Rejoicing in our salvation. It's a priority that we need to pursue. Thirdly, we're going to stand fast, knowing the Lord is at hand. There's a practice that we need to appropriate. And I want to notice three things here about this practice. Three things that we need to practice if we are to persevere in fellowship with the Lord, knowing that His coming is at hand. And, and, the, and, and, the, and the, we see, first of all, in verse 5, He says, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. There needs to be moderation. We need, to, we need to strive for moderation in our life. That word moderation means equitable, fair, mild, gentle. Somebody described it as forbearance or a sweet reasonableness. A gentleness of temper. It, it's one that avoids extremes. You know, extremes of temper result in bad relations. Extremes of will result in stubbornness. Extremes of desire breed greed and discontent. And there's no peace when there's an intemperate desire for material things. 1 Timothy 6, 9, They that will be rich fall into the temptation and many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. So there's, there's extremes of desire, greed, and discontent. You know, these, these were to be moderate in all things. There needs to be a moderation of opinions. You know, some people wear their opinions on their shirt sleeves. You know, these two women that were talked about here in verse 2, probably they had personality difficulties because of unstrained opinions. You know, it had to be her way. No, it has to be my way. Or, you know, my opinion's better. You know, it's, you know what to say. You know, everybody has one, but they're just useless. You know, un, unrestrained opinions is an unwillingness to yield. 
Roy Lawrence said this in his commentary, quote, We can afford to yield points, but not principles. God cannot enjoy those who know so much that all knowledge rests with them, unquote. See, we didn't have moderation in our opinions. James chapter 4, I believe, gives a description of this moderation in James chapter 4. I'm sorry, James chapter 3. And verse, I'm going to start at verse 13. Who is a wise man and dude with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and fear. And it doesn't say a whole lot about talking there. It says to show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. Uh, but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And so, uh, you know, we need to have moderation of opinions. You know, Job said to his three friends, so-called, he said, no doubt ye are the people, and wisdom shall die with you. Years ago, I got a letter, a nine-page letter from a fellow preacher telling me what, how wrong I was, you know, and all this and that. And I thought to myself, yeah, I guess, whatever. I guess you're like Job's three friends. You think wisdom's going to live and die with you. You didn't even know everything about the situation. How can you write such a letter? No, we had to have moderation. Moderation. You know, peace and happiness, and we're talking about having a peaceful and restful relationship with the Lord here, but peace and happiness do not depend on position, but on disposition. So we need to appropriate moderation in our life. We need to work at that. Secondly, we need to appropriate or put in practice supplication. Supplication, verses 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now we're talking about things here that will keep us persisting or walking in fellowship with the Lord, knowing that He is at hand. And instead of being anxious or worrying about things, we need to be in supplication. To supplicate means to, it's a seeking, it's asking, it's entreating. It's, in the New Testament, it speaks of requests that are addressed to God. So we're to be careful for nothing, or do we be anxious to be troubled with cares about nothing. We are to take our burdens and our cares to the Lord. We're to take them to the Lord. You know, the song says, take them to the Lord and leave them there. You know, so often we take them to the Lord and then we go back and pick them back up again. No, take them to the Lord and leave them there. So he says we're to be careful 
it was sort of like what he was saying this morning in Sunday school. We read about Matthew six nineteen or six nineteen or yeah nineteen through the end of the chapter there, verse thirty four. You know, in chapter uh, six, verse nineteen through twenty four, the Lord instructs his disciples not to lay up earthly treasures. Don't set your heart on those. Instead, they are to lay those burdens of life on the Lord. The Lord knows that you have need of things. And so we're to lay those burdens on the Lord. I mean, consider the lilies of the field. Consider the sparrow. The birds, you know, he clothes them. So we're to, we're to cast those burdens on the Lord. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You're the dearly beloved. He cares for you. You are his concern, just like your children were or are your concern. You know, I don't think your children ever quit being your concern. I mean, you know, there comes a transition period there when they leave the nest and they get married. They're on their own. But, you know, you're still concerned about them, but, but not maybe in the same way that you were when they were in your house. They're not your responsibility anymore when they're on their own. But when you're in your house, they are. They are your concern. You know, this, this will create peace and contentment in the heart and mind. Notice verse 7. And, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You see, when we take our supplications to the Lord, it's a reminder us that the Lord is, He's right here. He's right here. He's right here with me. He's at hand. And He has this. And I just need to trust Him. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, for He has said... I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So they may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. You know, we, get, we sometimes get anxious and worried, and, and the Lord's here trying to say to us, Hey, 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 listen to me. I've got this. i got this. I, you are my concern. Give it to me. Give it to me. Ask me. You know, Paul did not fret about what was or what would be. Look at verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of one, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am. Okay, shipwrecked, being beaten with rods and stripes, cast into prison, whatever state he's as. Paul said, I've learned to be content. I wish I could say that. Don't you? But he said, I've learned. Now, what's that word again? Learned. That is learned behavior. Something the Spirit of God can help us learn. To take our burdens our cares. How do we know when care is excessive? 
and I, I stole these from someone else, so don't give me credit, but I think these are really good. There's three things here. How do we know care is excessive? Number one, if we are more anxious about what we desire than God's will, we will never have peace by getting what we desire. Peace is found in God's will with or without the things we desire. So whether you get what you desire or not, peace is found in God's will, not what you want. Secondly, when we are hurried into hasty and ill-advised actions, I hate being rushed. Again, Roy Lawrence said this quote, He who prays can afford to wait because he is in relation to God with whom there is no mistakes. Unquote. Time is not an issue with God. He dwells in eternity. You know, Isaiah 28, 16 says this, He that believeth shall not make haste. Well, I gotta hurry up and get this done. Is there a better is there a more important priority that needs to be attended to than getting your job done? Sometimes people will sacrifice obedience to the Lord because they think something just has to be done. So we were hurried into hasty and ill-advised actions. Thirdly, when care is excessive, when we are constantly agitated in unrest. Unrest is not characteristic of faith. It results in worry, and worry does not bring answered prayer. Faith does. Faith does. Faith is trust without worry. So, Take your burdens to the Lord. Be in supplication. Be careful for nothing. But by prayer and thanksgiving, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be named known unto God. And then thirdly, there's meditation. So you have moderation, supplication, and meditation. Verses 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, what sort of things are just? What sort of things are pure? What sort of things are lovely? What sort of things are of good report? If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, and here's the most important word of the verse, think on these things. Think on these things. The word think means to consider, to take account of, to weigh. It means to meditate on a thing. With a view of obtaining it. It's also translated reckon six times. Which, it, which means to consider it so. So we are to be continually working on our thoughts. And he, he tells us the kind of thinking that we should be working on. Thinking good thoughts. Somebody has said we are not what we think we are but what we think. We're not what we think we are, but what we think. And that is so true. You know, Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. 
Matthew 15, 18, those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart and defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These things defile a man. And all these things come forth from the heart. The heart is deceitful above all things, so desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, 9 says. You know, Jeremiah 7, 24 says, But they hearken not, nor incline the ear, but walked in the counsels in the imagination of their evil heart, and went backward and not forward. You know, they went backward because their, their thinking was backward. Remember what it says about the, the pre-flood people and why God destroyed them? The imagination of the heart was only evil continually. You know, we have to work on our thoughts, our imaginations. In 1 Corinthians 13, talking about charity, says, It thinketh no evil. Charity thinks no evil. God doesn't think evil thoughts of you. When he thinks of you, he doesn't think of evil thoughts. In fact, when, 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 the, when Moab, the king of Moab, asked Balaam to, to, to curse Israel, and he goes up on a mountain, and he, he makes these sacrifices, and he gets this message from God, and he says, I don't see iniquity in Jacob. And I'm like, seriously? You know, you read about Jacob, and you say he's full of iniquity. But God says, I don't see iniquity in Jacob. You know what? God doesn't think evil of you. Charity doesn't think evil. And charity is the love of God. Second Corinthians 10, 5. And this is, this is the thing we have to work on as, as people living in, in this day and time. We're bombarded with all kinds of images and thoughts and words and pictures and stuff that, and many times it's not good. And 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, casting down imaginations. Those are thoughts, wicked thoughts. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Psalm 1, blesses a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law doth he meditate day and night. And he should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Psalm nineteen fourteen. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. See, we need to, we need to work at thinking good thoughts. Paul said, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, if there's anything good, if there's anything honest, if there's anything that's lovely, think on these things. You know what I do? Here's what I do. And this shows my sin nature. I go to my emails, and I look for the worst thing I can possibly find about going on, what's going on in politics. Do I like being discouraged? You know what? You know, that is the real world, but it is kind of stupid. Because there are some good things that are going on in the world, too. Some. I mean, there's still people that are living for the Lord. That's a good thing. That's a cause to rejoice. 
there are some that are not. But, you know, we're to rejoice and then think on the good things. And Paul says here, okay, you have seen me. Notice in verse 9, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. So, church, Philippi, you have seen me do this. Now you do it. You know, they saw Paul and Silas beaten and thrown in prison. But they also saw Paul and Silas praying and singing while in stocks. They also, I'm sure, heard about, because I'm sure it wasn't kept secret, I'm sure they heard about when the earthquake happened and all the prisoners were set free and the jailer was about to kill himself, drew a sword to kill himself. I'm sure they heard about Paul saying, do thyself no harm, we're all here. And the jailer taking him, washing his stripes, being born again and baptized in his house. See, Paul said, you have seen me Put this into practice. You have seen me be moderate. I didn't react to the wrongs that were done, to the offenses that were given. I made my requests, my cares, I gave them to the Lord. And you've seen me think the best of all of you. Now you do it. You do it. That's what he's saying to us. You do it. Think on the things of God. Put your confidence in the Lord. Allow his spirit to control your life, to bring you into moderation, casting your care upon him, for he cares for you. You are his child. Think of the blessings of knowing him, serving him, his rewards. You know, one of the things he says here in verse, verse 1 again, you are my joy and crown. Again, to me that sounds like grandchildren. You know, Proverbs seventeen six says, children's children are the crown of old men. And the glory of children is their fathers. You know, having children is great. But you know, grandchildren, they're just glorious. Sorry, kids. You'll understand someday if the Lord tarries. But you know, the point is, there's an illustration. When you serve God, there is reward. There is reward. Paul said, you're my joy and crown. So stand fast. Persevere. The Lord's at hand. The Lord knows what you're going through. The Lord knows what you're struggling with. The Lord knows where you are and He's there with you. Cast your care on Him. Put your confidence in Him. Let Him handle the situation. He is near. So stand fast. My dear little beloved, the Lord is at hand. 
Y'all, have you responded to God's love in Christ? Are you standing or walking in fellowship with him? So stand fast. The Lord is.